Welcome to the Daily Creed, where we help you break your limited beliefs that are holding you back from being a personal and professional success. When you master the five character traits of commitment, resilience, excellence, execution, and discipline, you will have the power to dominate your industry and live the life you desire. And now, helping you to grow in every aspect of your life, your host, J.R. Spear. All right, today we have a special guest. Her name is Seema Alexander, and she is the founder of Disruptive CEO Advisory, a boutique business growth acceleration consultancy, and Tim Weed Bootcamp, where she has guided 1,000-plus entrepreneurs and CEOs around the world through her own proven strategic growth framework called The Unique Method to help them disrupt the status quo and find their unique position in the market to have their breakout year in business. Welcome, Seema. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited for uh, for this interview. Thank you, JR. Thank you for having me. And before we get started, I got to give you roses. I met JR not too long ago, maybe it's six months ago, maybe not even that long, but I've been part of his network. I've spoken at as an event. I've seen him do incredible things with his community. And all the things that he just said are truly who he is and really like the epitome of growth. So I just wanted to give you roses because I uh, I appreciate being around people like you and all the things that you're doing for the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Well, thank you. And I, you know, likewise, I like to surround myself around high achieving people and I am a big fan of SEMA. So <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm honored to have you here on my show today. To be able to talk a little bit about what you what you do and how you're helping people be disruptive and everything else. So before we dive into your actual business and what you're doing and how you're making an impact, why don't you take us through the journey of what led you to do what you're doing today? And you can start anywhere that you want. Anywhere I want. Okay. Um, I'm going to start in the 70s because that's what I do. I start where my parents or immigrants from India came here with literally nothing. Um if you've heard my story before, you really understand the epitome of an entrepreneurial journey, right? So they came here, they started with nothing, grew, and did really well for a long time until they didn't. And so um, I ended up actually starting to work in these in hospitality, in the small business arena when I was 12 years old with my brother. Um, you guys, everything you can imagine from caterings to management, all of that. But when you watch a founder, and this particular one being my father and my mother, go from doing really well to close to bankruptcy and seeing the emotional things that occur in that process. And there were some real personal things that happened in our family um, because of it, right? And it put me on this journey of really trying to understand why businesses fail and why they succeed, right? And um, I think it was when I started uh, college, my college days, um, when I got into my business classes, I started leaning in. I'm like, holy shit, is this clean? I'm sorry. Can I? <laughs> I don't know what I yeah, can say. Now, but... Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I, I got really excited in my marketing and strategy and finance classes. I don't know if I'm a nerd, but it just I enjoyed it because I started to understand at that point, theoretically, right, but it, what it took to really grow and scale a business. And I realized, man, like there were, you know, it's communication and strategy and growth and all these things. But before I dug deep into entrepreneurship, I really decided to, I wanted, um, I really wanted New York City, actually. I wanted to stability. There was, again, like I said, a lot of personal things that occurred in the family and 
one major thing, one major thing happened, which uh, was my father tragically passed when I was like 22 or so. And that put me on this path of like, okay, I know I want to become an entrepreneur, but not now. So I wanted New York. I wanted um, to be a chief marketing officer of a Fortune 500 company. And that's what took me down the path um, of a, a little bit of a different journey. Um, spent 13 years in corporate America. Uh, and I realized that everything that I ever did in my life, I still always thought like an entrepreneur. So in that JR, and I share a couple of these moments because it's important to understand sort of the milestones of where I ended up. Um, I spent a portion of my career supporting 2,500, uh, the call the sales distribution arm, the financial planners of this company. And my role was how do you make them unique? and different. They're commodities, like just like every other service in the marketplace. How do you make them unique and different? And how do you scale their businesses? We have this practice building arm. And the second sort of milestone, which really took um, took my career to the next level, but also my like strategic thinking when it comes to growth, was the opportunity to work on the historical rebrand of Prudential Financial. So a 135-year-old company, even them who have like seven huge businesses, billions of dollars in, in revenue, they they were there was confusion in the market of who they were. They weren't attracting always their ideal client. They were trying to figure it out. And at a younger age, I was I was in an opportunity to kind of go through this process with them strategically of who are we today? How do we want to be seen, right? How are we going to attract the right clientele? What does that messaging look like externally in the marketplace? And that's when I started thinking like, oh my God, like I, I was getting my entrepreneurial itch back already. I was doing side consulting and hustling, call it whatever you want. I, I really do love people who are, experts in what they do, but they are not the best on the business side. But that moment was like, oh, this is something that I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs do. Like, this was like the stepping back. And, you know, obviously, we're in this big corporation, but the decision making, the strategies, they're all very similar. And it's just a matter of doing it or not doing it. And that's, um, and so I started getting all of that sort of uh, in me, if you will, um, but at that point, I was the breadwinner in the family. I was doing really well, um, right under the CMO in one of my other businesses in the retirement business. And at 36, life changed. Um, in between both of my children, so I have now a nine and 13-year-old. At that point, um, I had my younger one. She was about four. I had my first of two pulmonary embolisms um, out of the blue. And uh if you know anything about a lot of entrepreneurs that would have a lot of passion, it's because they've been through something real, right? And that moment is what I call my midlife awakening, right? Not my midlife crisis. I'm extremely grateful for it today. It was scary. It was, you were know, raw. It was, am I going to pass away? Like all these things were occurring at the same time. But when I got through it, I finally realized, like, I need to do what I need to do. I need to be purposeful in my life. And where does that fit in for me is in the entrepreneurial ecosystem and helping entrepreneurs grow. And that's sort of where I left Prudential and started my journey. So I don't know if you want to keep going, but I could keep No, that, that was awesome. No, that was awesome. So the, you, you had this really successful business as the CMO. Now, 
anyone that steps away from what we call a secure job, which we know not every job is secure because we can all be let go at any time without even notice. But when you have a secure job that you're that you're taking and you're and you're making this decision saying, hey, you know what? I got this entrepreneur itch to want to go again. That's scary. Like that's like for any person to be able to walk away, especially like you just said, I'm the breadwinner in my family and they're all relying on me, put food on the table, all these different things. When did you make that choice saying, hey, you know what? It's time I could do it. And then even having the faith or the courage to even do it on your own. Yeah. So two things. I was right under the CMO in the retirement business. So I want to clarify that. So my my next step was in that executive role. So my, you know, when everything transpired with the, the first blood clot, I stepped back and I like what I realized there were two things. One, I realized that when I was at Prudential, I was I grew up Prue is what I call it. 13 years in one company, you know, when you're getting out of college. And it was kind of like I got to a point where I didn't feel authentically me. Um, and that was because when you're in anything regulated financial service space, right, they uh, what I felt they were a great company. I, you know, I had great leadership in different areas. They challenged me a lot, but I felt like I was my personal brand was owned, all right? I wasn't allowed to kind of be me. I just literally wanted to be in jeans in my office and blast Beyonce and still go to the board meeting. Like that's who I am. And I couldn't do that for me, at least at that moment. The second thing that occurred for me was I knew in that space and financial services specifically, I was always going to be 10 years behind. So there was social media blasting everywhere, Facebook, all the stuff. But you're always fighting battles because of the regulations. You know, the innovation cycle, we had the Internet years ago. Obviously, now we've been in Web3 and AI, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But like at that point, we were in the middle of an innovation cycle, but there was just like, I was like, I can't have 20-year-olds do things that I can't do right now, right? And so um, when, again, I, uh, speaking to my husband was number one and making sure like, hey, I'm about to, I really want to do this. And I actually was working with in the financial, um, financial fitness and wellness space, I had somebody that I'd been supporting for years in his business. And he was like, hey, Seema, why don't you come on and be my partner, help build out the supplement side of the business, help build out like, you know, just the growth side of the business. Um, he was a celebrity coach and trainer. And so I did that um, before I left. So what does that mean? I got pregnant with my second child. I got on maternity leave. And I went like, I, it was just fun, right? It was like, all of a sudden, I got to control my path. And I was like, these are the things I've been wanting to do for a long time and the skills that I know I can bring to the table. And they were working, right? So, and then I just started to build momentum in that way. But holy moly, there were so many learnings too, JR. <laughs> like, you know, you come from a corporate, do you, you don't have a corporate background, right? Have you ever been in corporate? Uh, I I was I did corporate sales for for about seven years in the middle of me building businesses too. Okay, so there is this different. There was a corporate ethic, and there was this. Hey, you know, in the beginning, like you have budgets when you're in corporate, right? So you don't realize the janitor in chief and trying to do everything when you're in business, right? The first couple of years for sure, right? So there was a lot of learnings, but with Kashan's support, my husband's support. We had savings, right? Prudential had given me a little bit of cushion and there was some of that cushion that I felt very comfortable, almost like I felt like I owed it to myself to try, right? And so that's sort of uh, the decision-making, the process. Anybody who's trying to jump from a secure job, please have a minimum of a six-month security, a year would be ideal. 
And don't throw all your money away investing in everything up front. You will do more than you think you need to do on your own. And that's good because you need to learn. <laughs> I always say you have to learn through the process. Yeah. yeah so I, I, I'm a firm believer that you got to do like six months, but I always try to tell people to try to get nine months of income set aside. Nine, just nine months of income it has to be nine months of income that's generated from the business that you want to build. Yes. Because that's not it's not just one thing having the income set aside, but it's knowing that your business that you're building can generate that income. Because if you could build nine months of income from there that you don't touch, you just get, you've proven that you're offering. And that's what I had to do. Because when I moved from St. Louis, you know, I, I had, you know, all my fitness businesses and things like that. And uh, when we moved to Virginia, the East Coast from the Midwest, I ended up shutting that down and we were completely starting over. I had zero network and I was like, oh shoot, what the heck am I going to do? So I was that's when I was working, going to transition. I was working the sales jobs in the day, building new businesses, consulting, advertising agency, and a publication. Three businesses, all in one, starting all at the same time, and uh, and had it going. And that was the advice I was giving to me. It was the best advice ever because I knew that for me to excel and do well is I had to make sure I had that money set aside because you know as an entrepreneur we're gonna go through these different roller coasters. You got the ups, you got the downs, and man, I'm still living. I, I, it's funny. The money I saved up during that time, like the nine months of income is still there set aside. And I haven't had to touch it for the past five, six years. And yeah. I was like, but it's there. And this, the amount of stress relief that I have, knowing that we're going through a storm and knowing the, you know, you're going through some different battles or whatever. I mean, gosh, there was a period of time uh, two years ago where I ended up firing majority of my staff just because I didn't feel like they were aligned with what we're doing and clients, which cost me more than 15 to $20,000 in monthly reoccurring revenue. And, and to do that, yeah, it was scary, but I felt good because say, like, okay, you know, if I had to dip in in my other income, then then so be it. But I never had to because God yeah. always provided, and was going, which was awesome. Yeah. And I, I mean, I have a little bit of an opposite story because the two, I, I was in two health and wellness startups before I started my own company. And there were moments of me having to dip into savings. There were moments of like, self-doubt right there were moments of like a, like so many wins I always say it's about the small wins and so many of that but then you know I think when you're leaving a long-term corporate career your shift your mindset is shifting right you're growing in different ways and you have to align yourself with people that have the same sort of value system and there's complementary skill sets and other things that you don't know right you get really excited in the beginning and then the reality also can hit right and so um, I remember always talking about work-life balance at and uh, when I was in corporate. Now, then I was like, oh man, this is work-life integration. <laughs> like you know, like it's a very different mindset because now you're choosing to work on things versus having to work on things. So um, yeah. So anyway, I think everyone's path is a little different. I agree with you. Six to nine months of income in an ideal world that you don't touch, but you do have to invest in something. So I'm curious how you handle the investments and things. Sounded like you had revenue from the start. Many people don't, right? But I, I like where you're going with that advice. Stick to JR's advice on that one. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely hit on that when we come back. And I have a couple of things that I want to hit on as well, because we're going we're to go on our first break. But when we come back, you know, we, we definitely talk about that. But I want to also hit on, because you, you said something about keeping up with the young folks, like you coming in and starting your entrepreneur journey at 36 and that you were felt like you were behind a lot of the other people, but your message is is about teaching people on being disruptive and unique. So I want to know, I want to dive into that as well when we come back here shortly. So we'll talk a little bit about that and we'll, and we'll go into uh, some simple strategies that I do, what I had to, had to push through to be able to get it because it's kind of a 
unique story and hopefully inspire someone. So stay tuned. We'll come back here shortly. And now a word from our sponsors. Navigating the business world can be daunting. Welcome to the Business Leaders Network, a community of like-minded entrepreneurs ready to share invaluable experience. As a BLN member, enjoy dynamic networking opportunities with high-level entrepreneurs, learn cutting-edge strategies from industry experts, and gain a platform to showcase your business. Get started today for only $37, which is less than your daily cup of coffee. Join a community that can transform your business. Visit www.blncommunity.com to get started. Your success is our mission at BLN. Let's navigate the business world together. And now back to the show. All right, Seema, thank you so much for being here today. There's two questions that uh, that we talked about before we went on break. And yeah. one was, what did I do to invest in, my, invest in when it came to making that transition into a full-time business? And then also talking about you on you starting your entrepreneur journey for when you felt like you're 10 years behind. And mine was really simple. So on what did I invest in? Honestly, I didn't have, the only thing I invested in to make a big difference is it was me. And so I didn't invest in a lot of tools or anything like that. What made the biggest impact for me to making that transition was joining a mastermind. And when I joined a mastermind, I invested money I did not have. And it was very scary at that time because I made all the transitions. I mean, keep in mind, when I left, and there's a long story in, in this, but when I left St. Louis, to Virginia, and you know, we went, we we dropped down to one source of income, which me and my wife were both. She was in corporate world. We were both doing well over six figures, and our or she was close to. I was doing well over six figures, so we went down to one income from there. We're having our first kid, and then, as you know, living in the DMV area, we went to a place that's 58% higher cost of living. So I was like, what the heck am I going to be doing? How am I going to survive? And what do I do? And I just kind of lean on the skill sets that I knew. Well, first off. I was still, I transitioned to a, a different sales position that was only with for a short period where I covered the whole East Coast. I was driving Uber, uh, you know, early in the morning and late at night whenever I was doing all this stuff. And I was building three businesses all at the same time to pay off $150,000 of debt. And I did so in less than 18 months. And that allowed me to be able to buy a house in the area that we're in and, and all this different stuff. But it comes down to a couple different things. When we're, when it comes to really starting a business, you you first the first thing that you always have to do is you gotta get your mindset right and commit. It's like running a race. Like you can't you can't go all in and say, hey, I'm gonna run a full marathon and not train. Like you have to commit to the process. You have to commit to the training, but you gotta get yourself ready mentally because anyone could start a business, but there's ultimately two things that I boiled it down to of why people are failed or they don't get to where they want to go. And one is lack of commitment and two is lack of sacrifice. People have this dream that start a business is like, oh, I can get up whenever I want. I can sleep whenever I want. I can come and go and take all these vacations and hang out with my friends and do whatever. But the reality is there are sacrifices that needs to make. Now that looks different from everyone. Now I'm not saying you have to sacrifice and be a slave to everything and not have any balance in your life. But there are certain things that you have to learn how to say no to and then say yes to because no one's going to tell you to, to manage your schedule. So it was actually funny this morning, my wife, Natalie, she was uh, laughing at me. She goes, it's funny that you uh, you choose to to not have a nine to five job to go to like a nine, you know, nine hour, 10 hour days or whatever, some days of the week. But there's a lot of weeks where I have four or five day weekends because I choose to. I work really hard, probably three strong days in the week. And then the other, you know, the other days it's like, okay, you know, I could take some calls and do some points do I want. But that's the first thing is getting your mind right. You have to commit. And then the second thing is that you got to make sure your message is aligned with what you want to build. And the third thing is you got to have the right offer that aligns with the message you got. So 
when you have those three things, you can ultimately create any type of business from that. And so for me, moving to an area where I had zero network whatsoever, I went to Google University, I went to LinkedIn, I went everywhere. And what I did was I made a list, thought about, and I was only working with personal trainers and nutritionists whenever I started my consulting. So I made a list of all gym owners and personal trainers and about more than 100 plus people, found their contact information and phone number. I, the, so I make a list. The second thing is I created an offer. My offer was I was going to do a two-hour workshop, and I did it up in Alexandria, uh, Virginia, and I found an office shared space. And I, my goal is to get about 10 people in that room, and they all paid me about $97 to come there for this two-hour workshop. I barely knew what I was talking about. I just knew some basic concepts of what I did. It's like, okay, who's your perfect client? Well, here's your offer. This is what you need to do. This is how you for whatever. So I ended up making about $1,000 from getting 10 people in that room. I paid $200 for the rental space, so profit about $800. And then I closed two people on a coaching program for ongoing monthly after that. That's how I got started. And mm -hmm. it didn't cost me anything but a cell phone and my time uh, to be able to get my business going when it came came to coaching. So when it came to it, you asked about investing. Well, the investment part, honestly, was investing myself and joining a mastermind that helped fix my belief and put me around people that were doing bigger things than me. Because I was stuck at my own personal mindset until I actually joined Mastermind and saw what the potential was. When I got in the online space, no joke, I was only looking for about $2,000 a month because that's all I thought was possible. I was like, man, if I can just make $2,000 doing online coaching or or whatever, then then I'll be happy. And then I joined the Mastermind and the people are doing $10,000 a month, 20, 30, 50, $100,000 a month. There's over 300 people in this Mastermind that I invested a lot of money on. I, I ended up going to get a loan to pay for it. So I got a loan to pay for this mastermind for me to be able to join because I you you got a discount if you paid in full. So I ended up doing it that way. And I just didn't want to plan B. So I, I knew if I was going to make payments that I would convince myself to get out of it. So I was like, you know what? I, I'll just go get a loan, do this so I can be fully committed to it. And that mastermind changed my life because I am so competitive that I within less than three months, I ended up being one of the probably the top 5%, 10% in that community where I went from barely making $2,000 a month to making $100,000 a month. And so it only took me about four months to transition to make more than I was doing in my sales job annually and doing it within one to two months. And so that, that's ultimately how I, where I got to on that. And but statistically, statistically, JR, you are, that's not a normal situation when it comes to entrepreneurship. So you know that, right? Statistically, yeah. um, most entrepreneurs are making less than $50,000 a year. You know, statistically, like I actually now after working with like close to a thousand clients, I'm like, I, I know the trends, right? I actually don't believe all entrepreneurs, like people who are starting out, you know, we all know the numbers, the first, you know, 18 to 24 months, you have eight out of 10 businesses fail. I think the numbers are starting to shift now. And I've kind of gotten to a place where I don't believe everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur, right? And I think that's okay too, right? And I, I hear you when it comes to growth and mindset. That's number one. But I got to tell you, I know a lot of entrepreneurs that work really hard. They hustle their butts off. And they're not like, they're, they don't have that sort of steadiness in income. So they have that level of expertise. But it's the second couple parts that you talked about, plus some other things that I share with the Unique Method that really honing in now on some of those key strategies and if you're offering your message and, you know, your vision and how do you actually amplify that in the marketplace? So I think, you know, it's, a, it's, I, there are, uh, everyone's journey is different. I, I think 
mindset, I think systems and processes when you're there. Um, but like a lot of times, like you're throwing freaking spaghetti against the wall, right? Like you're just trying to figure out, you mentioned you were working on three businesses while, you know, doing Uber rides in the morning and something else in the evening. That's, you know, that's kind of how it is for the first couple of years. And I, you know, I, again, I think not that you're lucky, you're a hardworking person and you figured it out. A lot of people don't figure it out that early. So, just that, you know, just from, from my context, from what I've seen, right? <laughs> they try. Oh, it's not normal. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not normal. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that you adapted to the mindset thinking that not everyone's meant to be an entrepreneur. And I, I've, I think in the beginning when I was getting into entrepreneurship, because I just knew it was like, hey, if I can get out here and do this, then anyone can do it. You know, I got back from Iraq in 2007. I started my first business not even two months after being back. And it was a martial arts school. I just committed to doing it. So I had that mindset thing that everyone could do it. And after working with tons of people, like hundreds and thousands of people and seeing the trends and things like that, it's the same thing, same thing you're talking about. Not everyone's meant to do it. And I, I just, I don't know, I have a hard time grasping that because I'm like, if you just do this, then this is going to be the outcome. But, you know, it just, it's not reality for some people. And, and uh, you know, to be honest, no one can really tell us what they're really doing behind closed doors other than themselves. Absolutely. So we, like they can tell us that they're working and doing all the things and whatever, but true if, if no one really knows the truth, but I'm, I'm the same thing as you, not everyone's meant to be working on their own business. And some people are meant to work for, you know, other people and stuff like that. Um, all right. I know we're supposed to be going to another break when we might be getting over, but can you give us an overview before we go on break about like what, because the question that we mentioned before is like, you felt like you were a little behind 10 years be, behind the, you know, the younger generation when right. it comes to starting your business. But there's something about your system that you created that helped you be disruptive in your market that helps you stand out amongst everyone else. Yeah. Can you give us a quick overview about what that might be. And then when we come back from break, we'll dive straight into that. Okay. This is a, this is a, an important one. So I think what, what, where I came from after working with a lot of clients, so I was in those two health and wellness startups and I started Disruptive CEO Advisory and I did from one-on-one consulting to large-scale repositioning strategies. And I, you know, I kept getting into that like eight out of 10. I, I would tell this and people would say it was cliche. I was like, I want to change that number. I just, I think there's something missing in sort of the growth side of business. Like people talk about early scale business planning models and the, you know, if you're in startup world, there's the lean canvas, all these different tools, right? And then when you think about scaling, people are talk, talking about people, process and technology, all very relevant, very important. But I, you know, what I got to a point where I was like, man, there are people that are working so hard in their business. Everyone talks about, hey, go work on your business, not in your business, but no one's defined that, right? Everyone's like, okay, hey, here, I know the best Instagram story to get on. Hey, uh, to uh, best Instagram uh, strategy to become famous or micro-influencer. I know the best YouTube way to do this, or I know this one tactic. And I kept going, man, it's more than that. You know, people, the reason people don't scale is if too many focuses. They're not clear on their niche. They, their brand looks like everybody else. It looks like where's Waldo, right? It's like you're in that sea of sameness. These are real strategic decisions that founders have to make at a certain point in their business. And, you know, when you talked, I think you talked about earlier, like you went to the early mastermind and they start telling you, who's your ideal client? Who's your persona? I freaking hate personas because you write them down. You think you're guessing. Yeah, maybe you're scraping the internet. I don't know. But 
I don't like personally, my ideal client is somebody who's been in business two to three years at a minimum. It could be 10 years, it could be 20 years, but like you need experience, you need results, you need uh, conviction, and you need to start to understand what your market actually desires, right? Because you have to make a lot of assumptions when you're in the beginning of business, right? And so the unique method does, it's a six-step strategic process that I can go through when we get back, right? Specifically what it stands for, but the first three in unique, UNI, which is your unicorn vision, your niche positioning, and your intellectual property. And I'll explain what that is when you get back. That's what makes you unique as a business, right? And when we get clear on that, when then when you go out in the marketplace and you're like, all right, I have to write, you know, figure out the way to create thought leadership in the market and unify my brand and build strategic partnerships for growth, that becomes so much more intentional, and that's really what the unique method does. It's it helps founders sit back and like really go through a process that will get them to that clarity that they're seeking. And I feel like a lot of people do this in different ways, but a lot of times they're not put together to show them the outcome, the transformation that's possible of when they go through that. Sometimes they're like, you know what? These are just the foundations. We're going to go through it quickly. I'm telling you, founders, this is a process. It doesn't happen that easy. So it's something that I do both on the large scale repositioning. I'll, I'll give you examples when we get back. And also in a 10-week boot camp, because these are the foundations that are going to get you from this stuck or like feeling stagnant or like, man, I feel like I'm doing everything, but it's not growing. But as soon as you get clear on that, then you go scream it out in the market. And you're like, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I do uniquely. This is exciting. <laughs> like, you know, because you're matching it to what your market actually desires. So anyway, we can talk more about that, JR, when we get back. Well, there you go, guys. We don't need any other introduction before we go to a break. Stay tuned, and then we'll come back and learn about the unique method. And now, a word from our sponsors. Stuck in growth and need more time to serve your clients? Let J.R. Spear and his Creed Consulting team help. We offer a full done-for-you service, strategizing and building your program to scale fast. From video shoots to web design and automation, we've got you covered. Our expertise gives you more time to deliver the quality your clients deserve. Ready to build faster and serve better? Call us today at 314-221-9216 and let's kickstart your coaching program and build the quality of product your clients deserve. And now back to the show. Today we have Seema Alexander, and we're on the last half of our show. But real quick, before we dive in to hear the golden nuggets and bombs that she's about to drop for you guys, I want to make, invite you to make sure you guys join our Business Leaders Network community by checking us out as a free guest, where I would love to have you come and meet you and for you to join the amazing things we have going on. And you can do so by going to blncommunity.com. Go to blncommunity.com. Learn more about who we are, register as a free guest, and come check out what we're doing to uh, make an impact in this world. All right, Seema, I want to dive right into it. I'm going to let you take over the show right here and uh, start going into the unique method. Okay, I'm going to give you guys an example, right? Um, think about if you're a service-based entrepreneur, right? You're going into the market with a level of expertise and you're initially, um, um, let's just say you're a nutritionist. I have a couple examples. I'm going to give you three distinctive examples. You're a nutritionist, you've been working really hard in the market, you've started your own practice, cool. 
you look like everybody else, right? Like at the end of the day, it's fat loss. It's this, here's what they want and all these core things, right? And so I had a, a client when I got years and years ago, her name was Melina Malkani. She was somebody who was like trying to figure out like what was her niche in the marketplace. She ended up, she was like, I think it was like 12, 13 years in into the world of diet, like nutrition dietitian. She um, and we ended up working through what she cared about, where she saw the most results. And as actually she had three young kids and she focused on this uh, niche around picky eating. OK, so kids with picky eating. Right. And so, like, I'm going to I'm going to step back and give you uh, an understanding of how this process worked with her when we got clear on who she like, what she uniquely um, what she uniquely can do and teach differently all of the pieces in terms of her programming, her offers, her courses, the way that she was out in the market with thought leadership, the way she was getting reached out to and attracting opportunities started to occur, right? And so I, I, um, I'm going to actually share with you what Unique is, and then we'll get into a couple more specific examples. Um, so Unique, when you're, again, thinking about your business, a lot of times when you first start your business is never where you end up, right? JR, you had three businesses when you first started. You're actually a, a, a different human, first of all, now, because you've learned through the process, but your business models ever find you realize sort of what's worked and what's not but like a lot of people don't really get into the visioning exercise you and Nate talked a lot about this during um, our last summit and the entrepreneurial summit uh, in St. Louis but you in the unique method stands for unicorn vision and what I always say in the service-based industry is that a lot of times we don't sit there and we talk about big visions we talk about um, you know, we're accident entrepreneurs, or we're really good at this, and we're going to go do this. But a vision, you know, I think Steve Jobs is the one who says it. It's like without having a vision, you don't know where you're going, right? Like, and you need that vision to get you up out of bed every day and get you excited. And so, in the process of the unique method, I actually help you define a vision that's not only inspirational, which it should be, but it's strategic. So going forward, when you start to make decisions about your company and opportunities occur, you're saying yes to things that make sense that are going to get you closer to that vision and no to things. Because as you build traction in your business, I'm telling you opportunities are going to come does not mean they're all good opportunities. Okay, there's a lot of distraction in the process and those distractions will actually take you away from being scalable and definitely sought after. And we'll talk about that. N in unique method is niche positioning, okay? I actually do not start with, hey, who's your ideal client? You know, all that stuff, which is really important. We do get into it, don't get me wrong. I actually start out, again, my, these people I'm working with have been in business a few years at a minimum, right? So I start off with, who's your unideal client? right? Who are the people that are distracting you from scaling? Who are the people that are asking you for so much more than what your offer actually was, right? And may or, and they actually may not be willing to pay you more, right? So they sort of value your expertise, but they're, they're taking advantage of the situation. And I'm telling you, when you have clients, and JR, you talked about this, I think it was pre-hour conversation on this podcast, but it was like, you know, you realized who you're you know, the people that you wanted to work with versus the people that you didn't and what it what was the indicators in your own business model refine that. Right. And so that to me, your unideal client then getting into. All right. I actually have a different process to get people to understand who their ideal clients are when you're working so hard in your business, you're saying yes to a lot of people. So this process allows you to help create like indicators of like 
why they came to you in the first place. What was the transformation that you actually created for them? Who um, who valued who valued you in the process the most? Who did you guys like working with? You and your team, right? Like, what was like who paid you the most? I mean, there are ten or so indicators, but this process in itself that when an entrepreneur does this process and at least has a minimum of 20, 30, 50, 100 clients, whatever, we go through it with the top 20 and they start to see trends in their own business. So all of a sudden, this concept of who's my ideal client is not a, oh, I think this is the ideal client, the persona, if they walked in my office, this is great. It's your data and your experience and your results are telling a story. The market is telling a story. So there's no more fear of missing out on revenue. It's how can I help them deeper, right? And it's like, how do I get more people and attract more people like them in my business? Because then you can create your processes and your systems and your operations, because now you start to see the transformation that you are meant to create with these individuals. And the last part of the first part of Unique is your I. You can call it your intellectual property. I can call it your intelligence package but say I go back to Melina Melkani, I was talking about the picky eating. She has a unique method, her own method, her own framework to really get somebody from that, from that, that parent or really the mom is her niche, right? It's like getting them to say, oh my God, this kid is not eating anything. So here's how they not only try it, but love it. And it's proven because she's done it over and over again, right? This is an also a process that if you have like eight offers, you can bring them down to your core. This is where you really start to shine in the marketplace. And, and JR goes back to what you said earlier, right? It's like when you get your offers right, but this process with the unique method, it's not that you're assuming these offers. These are the things that you've done and now you're packaging them in the way that is attracting the people that you want to attract. So if you think about it, you're now you're clear on your vision, you're clear on your niche, you're clear on what makes you unique and different in your IP. Then when you're in the market and all these questions, how many times you're like, oh my God, social media content, or what am I going to say at this conference? Or what's my signature talk? Like all these things come up. When you're clear on those first three things, then the way you qualify yourself and the thought leadership is systematic. It starts to make sense. It's like, this is what we want to be known for in the market. It's the epitome of brand positioning, right? And that's not normal. I, people always tell me, you know, sometimes your language is too sophisticated. I said, you know what? The people that want to take their business to the next level will understand these concepts because it's actually going to get them to stop swirling in their business and being much more intentional, right? And those are truly are my ideal clients, JR, I know to you too, right? Um, the uh, you in in the unique on the second part is unifying your brand messaging. So think about this when you're out in the market in the beginning, you're trying to sell to everybody. It's kind of a thing, right? Your, your spaghetti is like, you know, you, you think you know your ideal client, but a lot of times you're seen as a generalist in the marketplace. And so through this process, you're becoming more secure as a specialist or even a Sherpa, right? Moving people to transformation. So when you start to now look at your brand messaging and the way you speak to people, you're speaking more to your ideal client with intention versus trying to be everything to everybody, right? And the last part of Unique is your E, which is your enrolling your niche network, which is the epitome for organic marketing strategy. And this is where my clients get blown away because when you've been in business for at least a few years, if not multiple, you build partnerships, you, you know people, you start to build a network. 
I'm not somebody who likes to network to network. I like to network where there's mutual capital. There's, you know, on both sides for growth specifically, right? So when you're clear on who you are, what you do, what your niche is, when you're enrolling your niche network, you're thinking about five to seven strategic partners that can really, like, you're going to help and support each other because maybe you have a similar um, target audience, but you help that audience at a different time frame. Maybe there's, like, a, a affiliate or workshops you can do together. Maybe there's lots of different things, partnerships, JV opportunities, but you're much more intentional because now you're clear on your strategy and you can be clear with them on who is it that you're serving and how you guys can work together to support each other. And that shifts a lot of businesses and it really starts to bring in pipeline on both sides and it builds this organic um, without, without having to spend a ton of money except your time nurturing the right people. So um, I have some really good examples. If you want me to go in a little deeper, I'm happy to do so, JR, but I'm sure you have questions. So I will let you take it from here. Yeah, well, one big thing that you you said that was actually that stood out the most was going right into your end for the niche positioning, because this is something that I think people now, I, this is where people struggle with the most. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. And, and I, I don't understand why they struggle with the most, because ideally, when you're looking for, to work with someone, you want to work with people that are more like you. So when you don't, can't figure out who you want to work with, look at you, your personality, the things you like, the things you enjoy, because those are ultimately the people that I want to connect with the most. But you said something that was like a light bulb moment for me. I was like, man, un, unide un, unideal, your unideal client and uh, and remove the distractions from those different types of people, because it's a lot easier to make a list of the people that I don't want to work with than it is to find the people that I do want to work with because like, oh man, this person I cannot stand working with. I don't like with X, Y, Z and this type of industry or these type of people. I mean, I mean, really honest, like me not saying in my community, but for me personally, if we're going to consulting, I don't want to work with spiritual people. Like I'm, I'm being a Christian and stuff like that. I just, to me, that's a completely different separation for how I'm doing. I want to work with people that are very logical driven and not very feely based driven. And so, so it's a lot easier for me to say, hey, this is a distraction for me and not the type of person I work with. So when you said that, that that really clicked for me. It was like, oh man, it's a lot easier for me to really pick the people that I don't want to work with on a one-on-one level versus it is to find people that I want to work with. Because I think the people that I want to work with is a much bigger list than it is for people that I don't want to work with and I can easily eliminate that. But you know what, why that's so important is because you're going to learn to say no, right? Yeah. And I think, I mean, there have been many opportunities where I was like, wow, like, is this serving my vision? Is this serving me and, and the company that I want to grow, right? And so before it's like, you know, again, you got to keep the revenue coming and, and like pay your bills, right? And do all the things you got to do in the beginning of business. But there comes a time where you're trying to move from the spaghetti phase to intentional growth. And so these are the decisions you have to make because you don't, you cannot be everything to everybody. I mean, these things are said before, but I really don't believe that there is a process to get you working through, you know, like with your own data, with your experiences, but what really the market desires to help you make these decisions for now. Like, you know, you may pivot in a few years. I mean, businesses all always ongoing. We never knew the pandemic would happen, all that stuff, but, but this will give you legs, right? And the one thing that I, you mentioned early on in the conversation that we didn't hit about disruption, right? My company is called Disruptive CEO Advisory for a reason. When I talk about IP, when I talk about what makes somebody unique and different, that is the core to it all, right? When you, you know, a lot 
my clients are really good at what they do. Actually, they know some sort of nuggets that they've used in their systems and their frameworks to get clients to what their outcomes are differently, right? And so that, in my eyes, it, you can be a nutritionist, you could be in fitness, you can be a nonprofit, you can be a management consulting firm. There's ways that you do things that are disruptive. We have to identify and amplify them or else you look like everybody else. And once, yeah. and if you're a, 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 you know, a business that has a lot of people, when you're clear on that, I can't tell you how many times, like I work with teams and they're like, all of a sudden there's all this alignment and there's pride, right? Cause they're like, wow, yeah, we do do this differently. And now there's no competition because you're so clear on that, right? It's huge light bulb moments for people. And now a word from our sponsors. Ready to elevate your coaching business and make a profound impact? Discover your roadmap in J.R. Spears' book, The Success Guide to Building Your Coaching Empire. Immerse in wisdom earned through years of successful coaching, presenting a strategic battle plan to navigate challenges and seize opportunities. Don't just survive, but thrive in your industry. Get your copy at www.jrspear.com today. Let this guide be your companion in your journey to a powerful coaching empire. Transform your business and make a bigger impact now. And now back to the show. Yeah. So why why is it so important for people to figure out what makes them disruptive in the market? Uh, easy. Like you, again, it goes back to you will look like, so going back to my original history, I work with 2,500 financial planners. I, I'm a financial planner. So is this person. So is this person. Cool. Why do, why even come to me? Like, you know what I'm saying? And so um, there's actually a, a singer wealth management working with them right now, and they're really growing to that next level. And so her whole methodology is so different. She has a community aspect. She has this, we call it, they called it the thrive methodology. She's just, she, you know, she always says like the industry is gross and I'm not going to make this gross. I'm focused on women. I'm focused on diversity. She just has a very clear vision and the way that she actually focuses on financial planning and wealth management is very different than the industry. So being able for her and her team to be able to articulate that in the market while they're competing with the Charles Schwab's of the world and the others, that's huge, right? Because now they know that, you know, and for them, women and transgendered folks and others who are in, in diverse and minority communities are her target audience, but the narratives now stands. It starts to resonate to them, right? It, you don't want to be, unless you're like, you know, actually there's one time I was consulting a, a government contracting firm and the guy, you know, the CEO looked at me, he goes, see my, and we, they were in the process of repositioning and rebranding, but his whole goal was to be this generalist because he wanted to be bought over, right? And so there are these moments where being general is smart, especially if you want a big exit and it's not a niche business and it's in the services industry. But for the most part, if you're if you're in service, there are thousands of other people that look like you, but but you're unique, like, you know? And when you start to really identify what makes you different and unique, that is disruptive, right? And I think what I'm trying to do is get that definition of disruptive different because it's so cliche. Oh my God, we're just, but my clients are disruptive. Gargi Parikh, she, you know, the way she focuses on mitigating diabetes is very different than anybody else because she uses yoga, she uses uh, Chinese medicine, and she uses the regular traditional practices plus all these other modalities and that, and she's had results over and over again. 
that's disruptive. You own that, right? Own who you are uniquely. Start using that in your marketing and your languaging and focus on the transformation that your clients truly are seeking and that there's a new approach, a new way, because they've probably done it the same old way in the past with all these other people, but they haven't gotten the results. That's why they're seeking someone like you. And in this process, that's how you become sought after because when you are clear on that, what makes you unique and different, your disruptive framework or method, now you're in the market talking about that. I'm in the market talking about unique all the time because I see it working. And the more momentum you get when you see your clients actually having transformations from the stuff that you put together, that should give you even more reason to go blast it more further. It will enhance your business. It will enhance your credibility in the marketplace. And it'll make you look very different than anybody else. So you'll get more opportunities that way. Yeah, we're down to our last two minutes. And I agree 100%. But for the last two minutes, uh, just kind of share with the audience about like, who's your who's your ideal client? And then how to best get in touch with you? Yeah, I have two ideal clients. So I have an advisory side of the business. And so these are companies that are at a minimum five, 10 years in. I think about they're going through a big repositioning or rebranding, something that is like an inflection point in their company. So those are the high ticket um, you know, consulting advisory, going through the unique method. The second part is I run a 10-week founder uh, business growth bootcamp, and that is for practitioners, service providers, experts, you know, people who own their own practice, been in business a couple of years who really will go through, I will go through the unique process with you. We do masterminds in the process. We do uh, a couple coaching calls and advisory calls really to help you build those foundations. So if you're really looking to work on your business, not in your business and take your business to the next level, we're talking at least 5X growth because when you're clear on these things, that's what occurs. Um, so that's where uh, the, the, the bootcamp comes into play. Um, my website is disruptive.ceo, www.disruptive.ceo. I'm also on uh, at seemaalexander.com. I've recently launched a podcast called From Spaghetti to Growth that JR will be on on Friday as well. Um, and those are very unfiltered conversations with founders who are talking about the craziness of the chaos in the beginning and how they eventually got to the success. It's inspirational. It's a lot of great strategies. So I'd love to get you guys to listen in and subscribe to that as well. Very cool. Well, Seema, this is definitely a treat to be able to get you on here and talk about your unique, unique method, but also how you can be disrupted in the market. I mean, there's so much about your story that led to where you're at today. And that and that's the, the really cool thing is most of the time we're, we're, we're with the things that we've gone through our entire life is definitely the path that led us to where we go. And, you know, we all have a unique path. We all get a unique journey. Everyone is unique in their own way and their story is very different. And I love just Bill, open up to hear more about your story. So thank you so much for being a guest on my, our show today. Thank you for listening to The Daily Creed. We hope you enjoy. For more, connect with us at www.blncommunity.com. That's www.blncommunity.com. We'll see you here next time.